Hey there, it's Shelly Till, and welcome to Chicks Who Lead, a podcast for and about women who lead in their family, career, sports, fitness, and life. Tiffany O'Donnell. Tiffany is the CEO of Iowa Women Lead Change, which is a nonprofit, obviously, in the state of Iowa. Tiffany, just give us a little bit of background on Iowa Lead Change, what your purpose for the organization is. Sure. The, the overall purpose uh, is really focused on individuals as well as organizations to, you know, ultimately improve uh, circumstances here, economically and otherwise. The official mission is the advancement, development, and promotion of women, which is the individual focus. Their organizations, which is where IWLC helps organizations create structures where women and, frankly, diverse communities can be successful and then ultimately improve our economy because, as you know, um, you know, diversity of thought isn't just the right thing to do. There's a real business case for it. It's the smart thing to do. Absolutely. And this is not a path that you started uh, down as a, as a young teenager heading into college. Um, in fact, you were a, a communications and French major. Did I see that? Yes, you did read that correctly. <laughs> wow. Well, we won't be doing this different. interview in French because it would be one-sided. Good. <laughs> good for both of us. It's been a while, honestly. It's been a while. Very good. So just kind of take us back. Um, you're from Bettendorf, and mm-hmm. and w- tell us a little bit about uh, your your life and your experiences sure. up until you uh, got to Iowa Women Lead Change. Sure. Uh, Well, actually, I am the daughter of a first-generation American. My grandparents came from Sicily, um, immigrated to the south side of Chicago. And I say that because all my family, my aunts and uncles and cousins, and and they're all actually still uh, on the south side of Chicago, Orland, Palos. Um, But my parents actually both went to Hirsch and Harper High Schools, which if you know the Chicagoland area, it's it's very different than when they were there. But my dad was the lone son that moved away, and he moved us to Bettendorf, which when I was about five. So I started school there. So I consider Bettendorf really my my hometown Um, and just had one of those just idyllic childhoods, lots of freedom. Uh, we we built a house in a suburb, Bettendorf's a suburb of the Quad Cities. It was really built for John Deere, which is, you know, based just across the river in Moline. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, one of those new communities, grew up in a, you know, beautifully new, beautiful new high school, just had a really wonderful um, experience growing up and then decided to spread my wings a little bit in college and went five hours away to uh, Indiana Uh-oh. to DePaul. I know, I know, DePaul <laughs> with a W, D-E-P-A-U-W. I always have to say yes. that, uh, DePaul University, really small liberal arts school. And um, as you mentioned, French was uh, always of interest to me. Uh, I liked it as a class. And honestly, I could only see as far as studying abroad. And that's all I wanted to do. And that's as far <laughs> as I saw. And luckily, my dad was was like, okay, so uh, what else do we do with French? And they're really, <laughs> I really didn't know. I really didn't know. So luckily he kind of guided me to pick up a communications major as well. So uh, throughout all of that, though, Shelley, and you know this, I was always very uh, musical, loved the stage, loved to perform, and had a really unique opportunity my senior year in high school as we were applying for every scholarship you know, under the sun uh, one of them was a local Miss America preliminary pageant, which I'd never done. Um, and I'm telling you this story because it kind of explains where how I ended up where I ended up. But um, <laughs> I ended up entering this Miss Scott County pageant because I love to sing. I borrowed a dress and a swimsuit and ended up winning the thing, which, uh, you know, was surprising to, you know, no one more than me. Well, won that. <laughs> And then went away to, to DePaul for my freshman year and kind of prepped there in a way for the Miss Iowa pageant, which is, you know, that was the preliminary Miss Scott County was what I won. And then I was in Miss Iowa that June. And uh, I was, again, it was just serendipitous, ended up winning that pageant as well. Um, and I will tell you, the judges said I didn't win any category outright. Uh, there were others that were better with better than I was and individual individually, but I I seemed to score high across the board. So 
uh, as they announced the first runner-up, which who was the girl that we all thought was going to win, the audience gasped, including me, thinking, <laughs> "Oh, oh boy, yeah." So um, I was I was at what they call a sleeper in the Miss Iowa pageant, and ended up you know having that fantastic opportunity for an entire year to travel the state and and really the country representing the state of Iowa, and then appearing in the Miss America pageant. Uh, which that's incredible. Yeah, and throughout that year, I was in and out of TV newsrooms. You know, I was doing mm-hmm. all kinds of interviews like this and in that incredibly energetic uh, and raw environment of a newsroom. And so when I went back to college, I really, really focused on uh, broadcast journalism as part of my – that was my communications focus. And then got out of school and interned and ended up at WHO uh, doing weather, of all things, in Des Moines. And not very well. <laughs> Do any weather people well. do weather well? That's like the only job I think across the country you can be wrong, you know, more than fifty percent of the time and still have your job. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, I was I was in Des Moines during the floods of '93. I was actually doing oh, wow. the weather that Saturday morning when the water started to rise, and needless to say, they pulled me off the desk, uh, and I moved into a reporting position. Uh, not long after that, which was which was where I wanted to be, and so really from there on, just you know, made my way through the ranks and ended up most recently before IWLC as a, a news anchor here for the CBS and Fox affiliates in the corridor in Eastern Iowa for almost for most, fifteen years. Oh, is that how long it was? I was wondering about that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That seems know, like a, a blip time. on the screen. I'm sure. Now. It does. A long time so, ago. feels like a lifetime ago. When you look back on all of those experiences, Tiffany, and, and maybe even before that um, in, in growing up, I, I always like to find out, especially from women, who is um, the first person, and it, not necessarily that it's female, but who is the first person that made that impression on you uh, that stood out in terms of leadership? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think I had I had really great teachers. Um, you know that's a really good question, Shelley. And I can't think of individuals. I can think mm-hmm. of I can think of um, you know moments when I realized that people turned to me for leadership, and that really started mm-hmm. um, as early as middle school. You know, and I had teachers saying, you know, you really should run for student council. Or they, they started to identify me, um, even at our local public library, and put me on a, an advisory panel, you know, as a team what do you, advisor. What do, you think it was, what do you think it was that they saw in you that you know, I think led there to was that? A, I think there was always an independence uh, independence to me. I'm one of those people that had always had lots of fr- like a, lots of groups of friends. I didn't I always had maybe one or two really close friends, but I was friends with everybody. Um, I was kind of a, I guess, a nerd in terms of, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to parties. I didn't really ever have a, like a long time boyfriend or I really just did my own thing. And I was, I'm also the baby of three, you know, the closest sibling Mm -hmm. to me is six years older. And I literally called my own babysitters. My mom will tell you that. So I think (laughs) I I was never, I was never shy. Um, I was independent. And, you know, willing to put myself out there. I didn't know that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. But I think when, you know, a teacher sees a kid who's willing to do that, you know, they might just think it makes it easy on them, too, to say, let's just put this kid kid there. And so I had opportunities like that uh, presented to me, and, and I took them, you know. I, I just took them. But Absolutely. that's not to say I was always the most confident kid by any means. Um, I specifically think of a, a moment. And it was a really critical moment, and this sounds so silly when I say it out loud, but it really was important for me. Uh, it was I was in high school, and my sister, who was 10 years older than I am, and my idol, like to this day, she's just mm-hmm. my idol. Everything she did, I wanted to do. And she was a cheerleader at Bettendorf High School. She was actually homecoming queen, too. I mean, she's just like this light. She's a, an amazing person and always has been. So obviously, I wanted to be a cheerleader. I go out for cheerleading. I'm okay at it. But what I really liked was the gold dusters. And this was the palm team. This was the dance team that back in the day had like long, like tall white go-go boots. I oh, mean, yeah. No joke. No <laughs> joke. I mean, and these 
sparkly pom-poms, and I always took dance and music because of my love of music. So I can dance okay. And I said to my mom, I want to go out for gold dusters. And everyone was like, oh, Tiffany, really? This is, that's not you. You can't, you just, you know, these girls are dancers. I mean, even my own mom was like, I don't know uh-huh. if you should do that. Well, sure <laughs> enough, I did it, and by gosh, I made it. So it was one of the first things that I did completely on my own against what others thought I could do. And, you know, it just mm. takes those those little victories, and I know you've experienced this, those little victories to say, you know what, maybe I can do this. Exactly. Sort of shift, to, shift who you think you are, you know, and that was one of the first times I did that in high school. And it sounds so silly, but... It was just, it was a, a real confidence builder for me. And, you know, I, I like to think led led me to do other things like that. No, I love it. Exactly. I mean, that's the first um, experience in it, truly being a leadership. And, and, and I'm sure you can relate that story to a lot of the things that you see even today in, in your new career and, and in the women that you work with across um, the state in terms of their challenges. Oh, I, absolutely. And I, when I describe the challenges that women particularly face, obviously there are cultural barriers. There are mm-hmm. organizational barriers that are deep. They take generations to change. But I find, kind of like the girl who almost didn't go out for gold dusters because I didn't think I was good enough, that was a barrier I was putting on myself. And we continue mm-hmm. to do that. We can, and, you know, the figures are something like, you know, men need six out of the ten or less qualifications for a job description before they will apply. We want all of them. A yeah. woman's not going to put herself out there unless she can do everything that's listed on that uh, job description. Whereas a guy just says, you know what, I'll, I'll learn it when I get there. I'll figure it out when I get there. We just aren't cut that way. And we that's we true. kind of, you know, create these images of ourselves and lock ourselves into this. Um, never, never really understanding what's possible. And that's one of the greatest things about what I do, Shelley. When I, when I talk about those moments where I just have those out-of-bodies where I'm just so grateful to sit where I sit it's at our conferences mm-hmm. when we'll bring in individuals who look like you and me. I mean, they're, they've had, they're, they're ordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary situations. People like Ariana Huffington and Carly Fiorina and, you know, we've had, I mean, CEOs of organizations, Gloria Steinem, I mean, pretty amazing people, but also people who are, are at their core just like us. And when you meet mm-hmm. them and when you hear from them, you're, it, it sort of shifts your paradigm about yeah. what's possible. Exactly. And that's exactly, what, that's exactly what happened to me, listening to one of the speakers kind of changed who I thought I was and what I could be. Tell me about that. Is this the, the Martha Stewart impact story? Yes, which is yes. so interesting. I love that. Martha Stewart. Yeah, Martha yes. Stewart. Well, as a news anchor, uh, my news station wouldn't pay for me to go to the conference, and it was expensive. So I was trying mm-hmm. to find every media angle to get in the doors of this conference, and I called the CEO, Diane Ramsey, and said, hey, do you, do you have any media availability? Well, she said that she might. Didn't hear from her. It's about a month before the event. Diane calls me again and says, hey, I, I'd never met Diane. But she said, mm-hmm. I, you called looking for me the opportunity. Our moderator for Martha Stewart had to cancel. Would you be willing to moderate a conversation with her on stage in front of the conference? Well, you can imagine it took me about a nanosecond <laughs> to say it. Let me just clear my calendar for that. And so, <laughs> sure enough, I ended up there on stage with Martha Stewart. And, you know, I didn't know much about Martha Stewart other than my mom had her entertaining cookbook, you know, when I was a mm-hmm. kid. I remember seeing that book. But during that conversation, she revealed her past, you know, working in the financial services industry, and that she wrote her first cookbook, that cookbook I just mentioned, when she was 42 years old. And at the time of this interview, I was, I was around 43, kind mm-hmm. of the same age that Martha Stewart was when she literally launched an industry 
you know, this lifestyle industry. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I guess maybe my life isn't so set. And, you know, she was kind of the first to expose me to that possibility. And then I started to notice other people around me that had done that, that had sort of reinvented themselves and had second careers, second lives. And I started looking around for that because while I loved what I was doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it wasn't as stimulating as it was, you know, 20 years before. And right. so um, I started paying attention. And, and then lo and behold, during a volunteer opportunity at IWLC, they were discussing succession planning. And Diane Ramsey came to me again and said, you know, I'm going to retire and we need somebody to slide into this role. Would you be interested? And I, of course, my first reaction, like so many of us, I was like, oh, no way. No, that's mm-hmm. so, you know, thanks so much. That's so kind of you to think I could do that. But I'm a TV news anchor. What do I know about, you know, running an organization? Mm-hmm. And I got in my car right after that interview. I got in my car and I called my, my fiercest male ally, who was my husband, Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you're not going to believe this crazy thing that they just asked me if I was interested in. And he said, well, if somebody else gets it, are you going to be mad? Oh. And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> that's my job. That is what I meant to do. And from then on, that's as simple as it was. And from then on, we had a couple conversations and led me into the chief operating officer role for two years. Mm-hmm. And then in June was able to you know, fill the CEO role. But again, something I never imagined I would do. Never. And it actually was almost said no. Almost said no. Because you felt unqualified. Completely. Completely. And and I do remember Diane. Oh, it really is. And I, and we just don't know what we don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's just how it is. And I, I just remember my husband saying, I said, he's like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I'm leaving a career, first of all, an established career. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. but you aren't really that happy anyway. So you're leaving the career. And he said, you know what? The next day you get up, you put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> the sun's going to shine. You know, it's just how he looks at things. And I think a yeah. lot of guys are that way. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, so you fail. We hate to fail. It's probably my biggest weakness and my biggest regret is that I hate to fail. And I know that mm-hmm. kept me from doing things. I know it has. Yeah, I don't think you're alone. We could start a sorority of that. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So what did that experience right, right there, that story you just told us, what lessons did you learn from that? Well, I think I learned, again, that um, I don't think we know what we're capable of. You know, we think we know everything. And we really don't. I mean, I, had, mm-hmm. I thought I knew what this job entailed and the skills that it required. And then once I'm in this position, there are so many transferable skills, you know, from my former life, as I call it. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability to, to tell a story. Um, you know, the passion's a given. As a Sicilian, you can imagine, once I decide I like something, it's, I'm pretty passionate about it. But the ability to tell the story, the ability to get in front of people, the ability to, you know, the, the marketing skills that, um, you know, TV news people just sort of garner organically. If you mm-hmm. think about what we do, you know, we're trying to get you to watch something in, you know, 10 seconds or less. Um, so, I mean, there were all kinds of skills that were transferable. And I had a really supportive team of people, um, you know, acknowledging that I didn't you know, I hadn't done this before and mm-hmm. offering support for me for things that I, you know, that I, that I needed. But here's another thing, Shelley, and I don't want to go without mentioning this, the importance of volunteering mm-hmm. and, and nonprofit work. Because as I mentioned, I recognized in my career, while I loved what I was doing, it really got fairly rote, you know, especially in a, in a mid-sized market um, like the corridor. There's not a lot of new news that happens all day. So I'd be on the air for four hours telling the same stories mm-hmm. over and over again, which, um, you know, can get sort of, you know, you sort of your brain gets a little numb after a while. So what I found that I was doing is I was getting stimulation um, and satisfaction away from the job. I was fortunate to, I worked 2 to 11, so I had all morning to, to work at my kids' schools or to find work 
at, you know, I was on leadership in leadership roles on the Iowa Children's Museum Board, you know, Kids First Law Center, the Alzheimer's Association. I had these groups that I was passionate about and served in leadership roles on their boards. So what that there offered me, it well, and what what it gave me though were some of those skills that I would have never gotten mm-hmm. in my current job. You know, I would have never done strategic planning at the television station. I would have never had to create a budget. I would have never had to hire and fire people in the role that I was in. But I got those experiences through that volunteer work. And I always, whether you know, you're looking to, to change careers or re-enter the workforce, I can't say enough about really seizing volunteer opportunities that are in the spaces you desire to go. And, and as you know, IWLC walks that walk because we are completely volunteer-driven. We would mm-hmm. not exist without our volunteers statewide. They're the ones who put on these incredible conferences. So we offer those leadership opportunities for our volunteers, and I just I can't advocate enough for that. And, Tiffany, uh, before we get into a little bit more specific about um... – IWLC. Um, I want to, because I I believe that women are leaders in many different roles. Um, It's not always just the boardroom or, you know, in in their corporate world or even in politics. We're leaders in our homes. And you have have daughters. So how do you Mm -hmm. instill those lessons that you've learned either then or that you continue to learn um, in in your own uh, children? No, I think we are, we're still uh, the best example for our kids. And my daughters are 18 and 14. So I'm really starting to see what kind of individuals they are, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Uh, they're, they're also both very independent people. And I think that's a part of, you know, my husband and I have you know, raised them to be independent, to, to make decisions, to be able to justify decisions. We've always encouraged them you know, like a lot of parents do, encourage them to, you know, pursue their interests. Um, You know, one thing I do share with them is never get, don't get involved in something unless you would, unless, don't, don't get involved in something unless you, you wouldn't want to do like a leadership position in that. Um, You know, if you want to be on student council, it's because you, it's because you want to lead student council. Um, you know, have clear goals, have clear ideas, um, and then just execute. And sometimes you're going to fail. I mean, they know that. Oh, and yeah. we, we sort of we sort of celebrate failure at our house. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we joke about it, but it's really not a bad word at our house. So I think just in general, just being an example. Um, and you're so right. Women lead in so many ways. I mean, you're you are the image in which your kids will will create themselves. And I can't think of a, a more important <laughs> leadership position than that. No kidding. Um, no you know, kidding. we're making tough decisions. We're making tough decisions. How do we, you know, many of us put food on the table. What kind of choices do we have to make in order to, um, you know, take care of these people? And those are tough choices that we make, and leaders make tough choices. So I, I completely agree. Um, we need to really you know, be cognizant of the many ways that, that women lead. How would you say that your definition of leadership has evolved? Because I, I think leadership means a lot of different things to, to people, but what does it mean to you? To me, I think, you know, leadership is, is quiet. Um, kind of like I feel influence is quiet. It, it, it can't be something that's talked about, you know, you can't be made to do it. Um, it's very quiet. And I say quiet and that I feel like the best leaders are vulnerable. You know, they acknowledge when they don't know something. Um, they are incredible listeners. They require listening. And, and that's, you know, one of the, the best leaders that I've had have said, well, what do you think? You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're just really require collaboration. That's not to say that it's a democracy and they're going to take a vote before they make a tough decision, but they, are, they, they really are collaborative and really good listeners. Um, I, think, I think you have to have incredible integrity and, 
if, if, you're, if your team doesn't trust you, I'm not sure you can get anywhere because you are making decisions based on facts that they likely might not know. So they have to just trust you and your instincts. Um, but, yeah, so I think, I think what I've learned is, you know, leadership is not yelling through a megaphone at the top of your lungs. Leadership is very quiet, and the best leaders really want their teams out front and really I consider my job as a leader here to create an environment and circumstances that help this team be successful. I mean, mm. I'll, do, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to help this team be successful. And that's not always glamorous. You know what I mean? That's really not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot of glamour about it. You've got to be, I mean, never do anything that you wouldn't, you know, ask someone else to do on the team. But I think real leadership is a, is a quiet skill, and the most effective leadership is quiet. Who exemplifies that for you? You know, I have some, I have some peers in the community, uh, mentors to me, um, some men, some women. I would say, um, you know, Laura McBride, who's the CEO at Van Meter Industrial, you know, typically, obviously, a male, it's a male industry, and she is uh, the epitome of uh, a quiet leader who's really focused on helping her teams be successful, knowing that it helps her be successful. I think, um, you know, leaders like uh, Barry Boyer, who is another, you know, kind of he's become a, a real mentor to me, a community leader after his job in business, um, where he's really focused on lifting up and educating current leaders. I think he's, he's a great example of that. I've really enjoyed watching Mayor Ron Corbett um, here in the city of Cedar Rapids. You know, we had, he, he took us through, you know, recovery for that, from that horrible, the floods of 08, and then just a few years ago, we were touched again by what could have been a disastrous flood. And this community came together unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And I, people who are from here say, you know, anything they'd seen before, too. And, and while it was a tribute to this community for coming together, I believe that that spirit comes from leadership. Mm-hmm. The leadership of this community created an environment that we all wanted to protect. You know, it, we, we all felt like we had a stake in it. And in, in that case, we all became um, leaders, you know, under the existing, you know, mayor who I felt created that culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would consider, I would consider him definitely, um, certainly one of my look-tos in terms of how to lead. So I'm glad that you mentioned um, not only him, but uh, there were a few other men in, in your list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's a great segue into, you know, you're, you're leading an organization called Iowa Women Lead Change. But what role do men play in that? Oh, it's, they're critical. They're absolutely critical. And in, in 2018, Iowa Women Lead Change becomes – I mean, it's just, we're still IWLC, but our theme for all of 2018 is Iowa Women and Men Lead Change Better Together because we recognize that we, can't, we can lean in all we want, but still, by and large, if we look at just the sheer numbers, you've got 25% of, of you know, companies led by women. That's, that leaves a whole lot more still led by men. Um, men want to be in on this conversation. Men have to be in on this conversation. A great example I used was at one of our CEO forums where we bring top leadership in for peer sessions. And it was on unconscious bias. And what was laid out was a situation where a male supervisor invites his male team leader to to share results, and the male team leader goes right into percentages, right into results. The female team leader presents her findings to the supervisor and starts off with team dynamics and meeting deadlines. And he's sitting there just kind of rolling his hands, like saying, get to it, get to it. Well, she's not doing that. She's not doing that to be difficult. She's not doing that because she doesn't know the numbers. She's doing it because that's what was most 
important to her. And so mm-hmm. she just thought that would be most important to him. These are clear differences in men and women. And there were a lot of light bulbs going off in that meeting. That's just a, that's a small example of, of how we come to, to issues and problems and solutions very differently. And uh, if men are not aware of those insecurities, like I said, I want to have all the qualifications before I, before I apply. If right. he's not going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you can do this, despite the fact that you say you don't think you can, you know, I'm not sure we can really get anywhere. Male allies are more important than ever, and, and I feel like men more than ever are ready to be in on this conversation and recognize the imperative to bring all talented people into the workforce. And, uh, yeah, I, men absolutely must be a part of this conversation, and they want to be. Mm-hmm. So how, how take that a step further. How is IWLC embracing that and, and what is available? If there's, if there's a, a man listening to this right now saying, I want to help that, how can they get involved? Mm-hmm. What specifically can they do? Well, specifically, I mean, obviously attending our events, which, you know, we have five conferences across the state from Sioux City to Dubuque to the Quad Cities to Des Moines, and our website, iwlcleads.org, has all of that laid out. But uh, one of the more interesting initiatives that we've taken on as the lead is something called the Epic Corporate Challenge. Mm-hmm. It's the ep- economic potential for Iowa companies. Uh, but what, what it is is it's, it's senior leadership, and right now we're at 62 organizations that have signed on. Senior leadership says we're going to track key metrics that indicate how we're growing women in leadership. So what a company does is they say, we're going to pick one, two, or all five of these. And they are, how do we recruit women? How do we retain women? What's the number of women in our top leadership, top 10% of our leadership? How many women do we have on our board of directors? And what's our pay equity look like? Now, you can imagine, these are tough questions. And Mm -hmm. to have a leader acknowledge that he or she wants to take a closer look inside their organization, that's a big step to take. And we recognize that. So what we've done, and Iowa is the only state that's measuring these results. Utah and Massachusetts have similar programming, but they don't measure it. They don't track it. Well, if you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. That's, our, that's the way we feel about it. So um, in year two, this is how it works. The companies sign up for free. They receive October 2nd is when a survey comes out from Iowa Workforce Development. It's confidential. They get a proprietary number, a confidential code. They fill out the survey, and they send it back to workforce development confidentially. So IWLC never sees the results, and the individual companies are never, you know, their results are never shared. It's all shared on the aggregate. So for the first time, we're able to really measure how we're doing. I like to say I'm not here for my health. You know, I really really (laughs) do want want to see the numbers improve, and this is one of the ways that we're able to do that. And, you know, proud to say that it's a public-private partnership endorsed by the governor and uh, privately funded by Delta Dental and hy who recognize the need, again, to, you know, start tracking this stuff. It's not just mm-hmm. enough to talk about it. Let's dig deep into it. And where are you in that process now? I mean, has it been long enough that you've been able to see uh, any positive impact with that program? We, we have not. This is our second year, so we had kind of we had a benchmark year last year. Uh, as I said, year two survey goes out October 2nd, mm-hmm. and companies have about three weeks to fill that out. And then we will release the new numbers in January um, at a luncheon in Des Moines with the governor. So I'm looking forward to comparing year one and year two mm-hmm. to see how we're doing. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, I was really leading the way in this, in this effort. And the confidentiality piece of it is critical because you can imagine companies don't want to share. If they've got pay equity issues, they're not going to want to share that with people. So we totally respect that. We just want to get the job done. We don't care how we do it. But um, we're still recruiting companies to join us. Uh, It's it's free to sign up. You can, again, go to the website, Epic. It's under Epic. And uh, as a part of that, though, I should add, one of the benefits to being an Epic member company is there are peer-to-peer sessions that we hold on topics like unconscious bias. Uh, We'll share best practices. For example, at our last peer session, 
you know, Rockwell Collins came in uh, and, and shared what they are doing with their uh, employee resource groups, which we know is a key indicator of, you know, growing women in leadership are these women's resource groups. So it, that's also, you know, being a part of the EPIC community is really beneficial to organizations too. Oh, I can imagine. And, I, I mean, I would think even if part of the purpose of it is re recruiting as a woman, I would want to go work for somebody who cares about that and is actually investing time and dollars in, in improving that. Excellent point. I agree. I mean, companies that are willing to be intentional about mm -hmm. finding all the great talent, regardless of where they come from. What do you think, with that in mind, what, what challenges do you face in, in your mission, either currently or, or that you're anticipating? I think one of the biggest challenges in general is the structure of the workplace today. You know, if, if being a CFO means 60 hours a week, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be hard to get the women in that spot. But by the same token, it's going to be hard to get millennials too. I mean, women and millennials, the workforce is changing, and they, there are a lot of parallels between what women want in the workplace and what millennials want. And frankly, more and more men. Um, we're finding, you know, more the, the companies that do well with women at the top all have maternity and paternity leave policies. Um, men are recognizing and being willing to step back and say, you know, my wife has the better opportunity. It makes sense for me to be, be home. So I think the structure of the workplace is really important. Flexibility, um, job sharing. I think um, it, as important as onboarding is for new employees, really great companies are starting to provide reboarding programs. So you get someone that may have left the workforce for left your company for a few years, but you know you're going to get her back in two years, and you have a program that helps accelerate her back into the process. Uh, you know, higher education is doing that with tenure now, where they're, where they're adjusting tenure for women. So it doesn't have to be a set amount of years, you know, to get to where you want to go. Because we know it's, it's not uncommon. Women are something like 400% more likely to take a break in their, mm -hmm. in their career. So um, I, look, I look a lot at how companies are structuring themselves to be places where diverse communities want to work. I love that. I love that for so many reasons, but one of which was, and just throwing this in here, I think it was probably, oh, 15, almost 20 years ago now that um, I tried to, you know, I was working for an employer and it was, you know, very 20 years ago, you know how that structure was then even, um, mm -hmm. trying to, to present a, you know, flex uh, scheduling option. And I, <laughs> I still remember this day going into my supervisor and, and talking with him about it. And he looked at me like I had not two heads, but three. <laughs> so <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. And I, I think, I think like you mentioned, even with millennials, there's so much more, it's more about balance and a quality of life and not having to feel like you have to separate this is my career, and this is the rest of my life. But p companies that get that are, are going to be well ahead of their competition. I agree. I agree. And the other thing I think, again, on a, on a personal level, um, I feel like we really need to look at how we're raising our young men, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, in, our, in our household, I mentioned I worked 2 to 11 for, you know, my my children's whole lives. That was, I worked tonight. So what that meant is my husband was the, the lead parent. I wouldn't call him a Mr. Mom because he, he had a career as well, but he had a very flexible, intentionally flexible job um, mm -hmm. where we took turns. You know, I moved to Dallas. I left TV because he had a better opportunity. Um, you know, my job opportunity that got, about, got us back to Iowa forced him to step back, you know. So, I mean, we, we really are teammates, and I think it's important to raise our sons to have that expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you, you, there's nothing that says you have to be the sole provider for your family. You know, there's, you, the hunter-gatherer. I mean, that's awesome, and that, that may work for you at certain points in your life, but I think we need to shift their paradigm as well to open, open the possibility that, hey, they may, they may meet and fall in love with somebody who's very ambitious and, and very capable and, and wants to, 
uh, be in the workplace for a while and, and, and open them up to that possibility and that it's okay and that it's mm-hmm. admirable. Because yeah. we still, I mean, that, again, that's on us. That's something that we can do today to begin yeah. to create better partnerships in the workplace that allow women to, the freedom to go to work. You know, we're not going to go to work if we know our kids are going to be alone or with, a, with daycare for, you know, 18 hours a day. We're not going to do that. But right. if we have support at home, you know, it makes it a lot, lot more doable and a lot more appealing. Absolutely. So true. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I, I think that there's a, an entire demographic also of women. And, and you kind of hit on this when you were telling your story about Martha Stewart. And, you know, she was in her 40s. You were close to her age when, when you kind of had that aha moment of, I can do something else with my life. Like, I think up until that point, a lot of times, women who choose whatever they choose, whether it's to stay at home and raise their kids or have their own business or do things part-time or be in the corporate world or whatever it is, that you get to a certain age and you just think, well, it's too late. So what would you say to women listening right now who might be in that position and feel like, I don't have the experience that I need or, you know, that feel like all of us do at, at times, I'm not good enough or I haven't done enough if they want to jump into somewhere where they eventually want to take on a leadership role or do something completely different. What would you say to them? Yeah. First of all, I, I would recommend looking at your successes because as women, we, we typically do look at our failures first. Not to quote the critically acclaimed movie, Pretty Woman, but, but do you remember <laughs> – you remember when she's laying in bed next to Richard Gere and, and he's telling her how great she is and what she could be. Yeah. And, and, and she says, yeah, I've heard that, but the, the, the negative things, I'm paraphrasing, but the negative things are just easier to believe. Yeah. I think we're all like that. So I would just, I would just challenge you to look at the things that you've done right. Look at your successes. Mm-hmm. Focus on that. And then, then just kind of open your eyes to what's out there. Um, put yourself in places that allow access to maybe what you want to be, you know, connect with people who are who you admire, who are doing things that you think are cool and that you might want to do, or that are living their life a way that you admire. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a career, but if, if they're living their life in a way that you, you admire, um, you know, connect with them. People are pretty, that's the other thing. People are, people are pretty cool in general. <laughs> and, and and think about how you would feel if someone came to you and said, hey, I really admire what you're doing. Would you meet me for coffee? Yeah, that'd feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's hard yeah. to turn somebody down like that. And then if there are skills that you know you're going to need, you know, I fall back on that volunteer opportunities. You know, find opportunities in your community to get those skills. Um, you know, it's kind of like an adult internship program, truthfully. You know, work, you know, get yourself involved in organizations that, if you need to be better at marketing, get yourself working under a really good marketer on a board. Get yourself on a marketing committee mm-hmm. uh, for an organization that you believe in. Um, so that, that's, what, that's what I would say. And just get out of your own way. Just get uh, out of your own way. And remember, <laughs> failure is a gift. It is a gift. And it is so hard. And I feel like lightning's going to strike me down by saying that because I'm the first one to have the hardest time with that. But failure is a gift. Yeah. Think about I'm what we you. learn from. Think it, about it, what it, we learn from, though. You know? Right. We learn and from that. We learn from those mistakes. Exactly. And you're, you're like, reading my mind, because literally my next question for you is, what has been your greatest failure? What have you learned from in terms uh, of that? Oh, my gosh. You know, I think when I look back on my career in television, I passed opportunities up. I passed them up because I thought, I mean, for larger markets, for for really significant markets, um, I passed them up because I knew I wanted to have kids someday. I knew that I, I I, I thought I didn't want to have to move my husband around with me, and that's what it was going to take. I said no to opportunities thinking I knew what they looked like. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure I did. I'm not so sure I did. Um, I love that. But, you know, but that being said, I do believe nothing, those experiences are not 
you know, for not. Uh, those experiences all contribute to where we get to today. And, you know, I, everything I've done to this point has put me in this spot. And I feel everything I've done personally and professionally has kind of prepared me for this spot. But, um, yeah, I mean, I look back, I, I have serious regrets about that. I don't know if it's failure, but I do have some serious regrets about that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what, what was I thinking, you yeah. know? Well, but yeah, I know what I, think, I was thinking. <laughs> right. It's a, it, it it really is. And I think there's just so, I, I hear this time and time again from speaking to every woman at some point, the, the theme comes out that you just feel like uh, you're not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough, experienced enough, intelligent enough. Uh, whatever enough and we we stop ourselves from like you said taking opportunities where guys would probably just jump in with both feet and say oh well if it doesn't work out I'll just do the next thing so I think that's a great lesson and and a great message to share and I loved your you just summed it up so beautifully get out of your own way get out of your own way yeah and I say that from experience Sadly. So, to, <laughs> hey, we all, we, we've all been there, done that. What would you say your top two or three values are? What's most important to you? Uh, most important for me is my family. Clearly, my girls. You know, you you, you screw up that job, you really screwed something up. So mm-hmm. I would say they're you know that's you know my primary focus. Um, I would say um, integrity. You know, people trusting mm-hmm. me. Uh, and authenticity, people knowing me, feeling like they know me, knowing me, having me be who I am. Um, and, and I think my third one is just really serving a higher purpose, you know, just mm. doing something relevant, something that's going to, you know, make things better for others. I don't, I don't know for whom, but um, there's that, that phrase, I think it's actually a Bible verse. Um, I should know where it's from, but I don't. But, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yes. You won't, mm-hmm. you won't find anybody. I would challenge you to find anybody who's been given more than I have in terms of winning the parent lottery, you know, the husband lottery, the life lottery. I mean, I won it. There's no doubt in my it. mind. So I consider that, you know, super important, super important and a huge responsibility to make sure I leave things a little better than when I got here. Mm-hmm. So when you're away from your role as the CEO and even your role as as mom and wife, what do you like to spend your, I call it me time, doing? Yeah. I like to work out. You, you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't know that by looking at me, cause, <laughs> but I do. Stop. I like to work out. I, I like the, um, I like to sweat, you know, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. Uh, I love the steam room lately because it's the easiest way to sweat. But um, I do. I like to cook. Cooking is like a part of who I am. Uh, Sunday dinner is something we've done with my extended family as long as I can remember. And now my folks have moved to uh, about my sister and my parents and and my family. We all live as the crow flies probably um, a mile apart. I mean, we're all right together. So, yeah, so Sunday dinners are sacred for us. We do Sunday dinners. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I I have very few close friends. You know, I have... My, my ideal night is, is an evening with them, a Friday night. Mm-hmm. I like Fridays the best because I can recover on, <laughs> recover on Saturday. And I'm just so ready to, to you know, to, to have a good time Friday night. So a good dinner at, at my house or someone else's home on a Friday. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm much more of a small group person than a large group person, which is, mm. which is funny when you know what I've, what I've done my whole life. And, um, and actually, when you do those tests, those Myers-Briggs and things, you, I'm actually an introvert, which is so funny because you would think that I would be this, you know, have been in front of all these people my whole life. But I energize alone. I energize. I love to be with people, but I energize by myself. Yeah, you know, I like I'll, I'll vacation by myself occasionally even. You know, just I need that, that mm-hmm. quiet time. Was Do you a have long any answer for... <laughs> no, no, no. That's great. And it, I'm, it was good that you, A, had an answer because a lot of women don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know, what, no, what it's do you true. mean? Me I time? know. Yeah. How I about know, any books, true. podcasts? Do you have any, any favorites? I love a book called Rookie Smarts. And I, I believe Liz Wiseman is the author. 
the reason I like it is, be, well, it's, it's my life, and it especially speaks to those who, you know, literally step out of their comfort zone and start something they've never do, do something they've never done before, because it points out the value, the value in not knowing mm-hmm. what you're doing, because you you have this freedom to ask questions. You ask, and there's no dumb questions. You have an energy and an excitement because you're new at it. You come up with ideas that no one else has. You don't know if anybody's come up with them, so you just come up with them. There's just so much value in being new at something that you don't even realize. So I would say, yeah, I would say really smart. Yeah, I'm going to put that one on my list. That sounds like yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a really good one. Yep. Before I let you go, uh, just give everybody again, um, if they want to you know, get more information on your events, or come and participate or just get involved, um, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, well, our website is kind of the the source for all the information, and that's iwlcleads.org. And that will tell you all about our events in terms of conferences, our Women Connect networking group events. Um, It talks about EPIC. Um, Yeah, the the website's the best place to go. And there's also, you can always just email me too, and it's, it's on there as well, but Tiffany.O'Donnell at IWLCLead.org. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask from you is just to share, I always call this my food for thought moment. Um, I've asked everybody to just leave maybe either a food for thought for the audience or, you know, motivation, inspirational quote or, or a personal mantra, something if you could leave people with one more impression, what would that be? Well, that's one that I share with my daughters because I have it up on my wall in my office uh, and it is be so good they can't ignore you. Perfect. Well, Tiffany, thanks again so much. I I greatly appreciate your time. Um, You've been just a wealth of information, not only uh, uh, just in terms of telling everybody what Iowa Women Leads Change has done and is doing, but just getting your own personal story out there. And I think what I'm taking away from this initially is just not to be afraid and, and there's never, you're never too old to do anything and um, get out of your own way. I love that. So thank you for that inspirational message. Well, thanks for inviting me, Shelly. I, le- I learn a lot. I learn a lot from others too. So I appreciate what you're doing and sharing the stories of others. All right, everybody, Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Iowa Women Lead Change Go check them out, and if you're in Iowa and have the opportunity to attend an event, I highly recommend you do so. You will walk away a changed and improved person. Tiffany, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Shelley. Thanks for joining me today on Chicks Who Lead. Do you know a woman who inspires you? Let me know who she is, and maybe we can add her to our guest list. Hit me up with a message here or find me on social media at Shelly Till on Instagram or Twitter, and at Official Shelly on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate it, share it, and subscribe to the channel.